Hello, and welcome to Bringing Education Home. I'm Herb. And I'm Christina. Together, we are sharing ideas that are <laughs> that we believe will help grow stronger, healthier, happier families that are both inside and outside the box. If you like the show, be sure to follow Christina on Facebook. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing CJ Scarlett also known as the Badass Grandma. She is a danger expert and author of books that help parents empower their kids to protect and defend themselves from dangerous people. CJ knows firsthand how violence can destroy lives. A survivor of childhood abuse and teen sexual assault, CJ spent years dealing with the emotional aftermath of her experience. After taking her power back, she became an advocate for others who have been victimized, running a child advocacy center and serving as the director of victim issues for the North Carolina Attorney's General's Office. Over her 30 years as a victim advocate, CJ has helped thousands of survivors claim their power too. The former roller skating car hop, forest firefighter, and U.S. Marine photojournalist holds a master's degree in human violence. Named one of the happy 100 people on the planet, CJ's story of triumph over adversity is featured in several best-selling books. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome you here today. We are so Herb and Christina, thank you so much. We are so glad you are here with us and being ready to share with our families. You have so much information packed in all of that. And after rereading your bio, it's like, oh, wow, roller skating car hop, U.S. Marine Corps, <laughs> all firefighter. Of firefighter. You used to do forest firefighting as well. Did you really? Did. There's lots of connections. And then, of course, our love of families, love of children and wanting to keep them safe. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So just just to prove it, forest firefighting is boring as all get out. They make it seem and dirty work. But all you're really doing is going around and trying to mop up hot spots. I mean, <laughs> it, I thought it would be exciting, but no, it's it's one of the most boring, dirty jobs I've had. And you could take twenty showers and never get that soot out of your pores. Nope, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> Yep, exactly. He spent his summers, college, yep. most college summers out on the forest fire. fire yeah, house. I grew up in a small town in Southern Oregon, and the Forest Service was one of the few things that was going on for employment. And so mm -hmm. firefighting was was a natural thing for, for the people in that area to be doing. Oh, that's so awesome. But you have good memories of it, right? I do. I, yeah, I saw some too. places. I remember uh, we had we had um, helicopters dropping bottles or big things of water on the bears that kept coming into our camp when we were stuck on the side of a mountain. <laughs> the helicopters were chasing the bears out of our camp. So where where did you find those fires at? Arkansas and Western Arkansas and Eastern Oklahoma in the Washtenaw Mountains. Okay. So a little bit different terrain. A little bit different terrain, but you know, yeah. firefighting is is you know dirty and boring and it's yes. But then he did other exciting things like roller skating and photojournalism. And then, of course, sharing your message, which is why we're here today, sharing your message to help our parents, help our families understand how do we keep these kids safe in our crazy, crazy world? So so in this day and age, so many people who have been traumatized, have been traumatized and who have been traumatized don't come forward. And so you are a pioneer in leading the way. What, how did you get started? What sparked you from that trauma, which usually shuts people down into growing out and reaching out and helping other people? Because that, that's an amazing, that's got to be an amazing story how you got. 
Yeah, my dog just jumped up on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> you said this was a family show and dogs are part of the family. So <laughs> it, 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 um, I had pretty severe PTSD from the things that had happened to me as a child and as a teenager. And I just bottled it up and repressed it. I mean, I just kept shoving it down and shoving it down and until my body really couldn't take it anymore. And when I was 30 years old, I was working at United Way in, Nor in Norfolk, Virginia. And I was sitting at a table with all the community leaders talking about the next United Way campaign coming up. And suddenly I burst into tears and fled to the bathroom and sobbed for two hours and I couldn't tell my worried coworkers why. Um, I took a journal and went to Connecticut for a week to visit with relatives and just kind of be by myself and figure out what was going on. And that's when everything that had ever happened to me just poured out of the pages. And within a week, I got into therapy. I also, at the same time, was diagnosed with lupus and scleroderma, which are autoimmune conditions. It's like my, I heard a quote saying that uh, disease is the soul screaming through the body. Mm -hmm. And it's like my body said, you're going to deal with this. You're going to stop. Everything stops now until you deal with this. So this was 1990. And I got deep into therapy, into group therapy and individual therapy, and I started the healing process. At the same time, I became, I joined the board of directors at the local rate crisis center is my first exposure to victims of violence. I mean, I really, I mean, not my first exposure to victims of violence, my first active role working to combat violence. And while I was um, doing that, I went back to school to get my bachelor's degree and then my master's degree in human violence. And that's when I went to work for a child advocacy center. And that's what brought me to North Carolina. I followed my heart to Raleigh where I became the director of victims issues. I was still in therapy off and on over the years trying to deal with what was happening or what had happened to me. And I, I was just so determined that I didn't want anyone else to feel the way that I had felt anyone else to feel the shame and the self-loathing that I had felt most of my life. And so I was determined to spend the rest of my career protecting victims of crime, particularly our children. And in um, 2020, I wrote my first book in the Badass Parenting series. I did that after I had grandchildren, because as you can imagine with a, with a master's degree in human violence, I can imagine every awful thing that can happen to kids. And I started having nightmares when they were born about all these things happening to them. And I thought, I cannot do this. I, I've got to do something. And I'm, I was a writer in the Marine Corps. So I started writing books and I wrote Badass Parenting and Heroic Parenting, which are for parents of kids zero to nine. And they're the same book, except Heroic Parenting is PG rated and Badass Parenting is not PG rated. So, and they, interestingly, I was telling Christina that they sell 50, 50. Yeah. So. Yeah, which I thought was big. The books you're mentioning right behind you there. Yes, right yeah. behind me. That's, yes. So that's yeah, that little girl with the guitar. She's something else. Yeah, she looks badass. She is. So I, um, I'm about to publish my third book in the series called Raising Badass Kids for Parents of Tweens and Teens, Kids 10 to 18. And the books have the same basic message in them, you know, who the predators are. And they're not, people worry, teach their kids about stranger danger all the time, but less than 10% of crimes against children are done by strangers. And less than 1% of abductions are by strangers. I used to believe that predators, that, that pedophiles were snatching children off street corners willy nilly. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. not what's happening. It's mostly relatives and, and uh, people they know that, that abduct them. Mm -hmm. So the books kind of dispel the myth that it's stranger danger that kids need to worry about the whole point of the books is to teach parents how to empower their kids 
to, to learn how to protect and defend themselves when the parents aren't around. Because parents like to think they're going to protect their children always and nothing bad's ever going to happen to them, but it's a scary world we got out there. And if you don't give your, arm your children with the information, the knowledge, the, the tools they need to recognize when their intuition is telling them something's off, when they feel uncomfortable or afraid or concerned, um, and then learn have bound, strong boundaries that say, this person's in my space or they're doing something that, that makes me uncomfortable, and teaching them they can say no to adults and other kids who are making them uncomfortable. Giving them just those first three basic tools is going to go a long way toward protecting them. If I'd had those tools when I was growing up, the things that had happened to me probably would not have occurred. Yeah. So I, um, in the books, I also talk about the specific dangers. I talk about bullying and cyberbullying, online dangers when crime is going up in a really serious way. I talk about sexual molestation and assault. In the first two books, I talk about kidnapping. In this third book, I talk about sex trafficking. And I have the most important chapter I've ever written. It's on sexual consent and how to teach children about consent. Because if we taught our sons and daughters what consent looks like and doesn't look like and how to convey it and understand it and recognize it, we would have so fewer, so many fewer victims and so many fewer inadvertent perpetrators. Because let's face it, guys aren't mind readers. And if they're not taught to recognize the signs of somebody who's not into what's happening, something could happen that they would regret, would regret later. So, um, and then I break it down by age group in the first two books about how to talk to your kids about these body safety issues. And then I talk about confidence, how to instill confidence in your child, which is the number one predator repellent. <laughs> dog, <laughs> I'm sorry, getting into everything. Um, so I wrap up the book by talking about how to teach your children to fight like a rabid Tasmanian devil. My Taz moves by using just your bodily weapons. Kids don't have to know any formal martial arts or self-defense training. They can just go bonkers on anyone who's trying to hurt them or, or take them away. Give me one second here. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> she slept all afternoon and now she's getting into everything. Of course. Yeah. I'm back. Love that. And so just thinking of that, if you, you know, the Tasmanian devil, just, just the wild thrashing, kicking, spinning around, doing whatever you need to do, mm -hmm. right. To ward off. Yes. Tell some, somebody that something is up that shouldn't be up. And they can do it from the time they're tiny tots. I mean, Herb, have you ever tried to, to take a, a, wig, a wriggling three-year-old where they didn't want to go? So I, do I do children, they, yes. And they do that noodle thing, and you can't drag them where you want them to go. <laughs> yeah, I, my my kids, my kids were actually pretty well behaved, and so if we were out in public and they started doing that, I would normally just pick them up and take them out because mm -hmm. there are certain times where that's appropriate when it's like parents. Mm -hmm. But yeah. if if somebody wasn't a parent and didn't know that a child was going to do that it would be incredibly obvious to everybody around that that person's not a parent and doesn't understand mm -hmm. what's going on here. Yeah, a lot of children, I mean, the, the predators don't want to get caught. So they want their victims to be quiet. Uh -huh. They don't want them to make any noise. So they'll tell the child, if you scream or if you say anything, I'm going to hurt you or your parents or whatever. And the child, terrified, stays silent. And I teach kids to make as much noise as you possibly can because they're liars. They're liars. And they will do that to try to scare you, but it's not true. But I, the main, one of the things I tried to do in the book is to present the information without scaring the parents to death so they didn't have to scare their kids to death. 
Because yeah. a lot of the, one of the questions I get is how do I teach my child to protect and defend themselves without terrifying them? Yeah. Kids know a lot more than we give them credit for. They understand, they see bullying at school. Now you, you're into homeschooling. So a lot of that is avoided right. um, for, for you guys, but, but kids are aware that bullying goes on. Yep. And they it's see it all the time. Pitching points of, of it as well, because you know, while there are traumas at school, the the vast hordes of kids that are all don't want to be there. Yeah, that that's like a recipe for disaster. That's kind of where I came from. So mm-hmm. I, my my trauma was not family related. It really was around school. And I'm what they call a highly sensitive person or an empath. And I'm also mm-hmm. introverted. So even though I was one of the bigger kids in my school, I was always quiet and inside and not that expressive outwards. And so there are certain personality types that are even then preyed upon more specifically because of their introverted nature and quietness, and their yeah. quietness. And so th- to be able to teach that to people who aren't that way naturally, I mean, the, the natural extrovert is confident and outgoing in mm-hmm. that way right. in, in the first place, but the quiet kids who disappear and the, the introverted mindset is, is where they're this- often the targets. They are often the targets. I was, I was and- off the like I said, even though I was the big guy, I was mm-hmm. quiet and I let it happen because I couldn't strike out because actually me hurting people hurt me worse than, than them hurting me, that which is a really bad. weird yeah. thing as, as an empath mm-hmm. that that's, mm-hmm. you know, that as a, that was weird for me. So it still is. I can imagine. I can imagine one of the things I teach in the book is how to talk, teach your kids to train bullies to leave them alone. Good. And, you know, well-meaning parents may say, ignore them, but that's really hard to do when somebody is threatening you and you feel like you're going to be hit or hurt or, or humiliated, especially in the case of girl bullies who use relational bullying uh-huh. to humiliate other girls. It's, it, it's very damaging stuff. Um, but kids have more power to protect themselves than either they or their parents may realize. And in the case of bullies, by I, I, I offer several tips, like uh, going along with the bully and saying, you're right, my last name does rhyme with butt, ha, 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 you know, laughing it off and, and kind of rolling with the punches, teaching your kid to roll with the punches. And that's where the teaching them confidence comes in. Right. The more confident they are, the more they're more able they're going to be to roll with the punches. But let's take the example of a child who doesn't have a lot of confidence or who has uh, something that makes them really stand out. They're very poor. They don't dress like everybody else. They, their cat, their, their clothes smell. They have a disability, something like that, that makes them stand out and makes them a target for bullies. It's a lot harder to protect them from these folks and a lot harder for them to be able to stand up. One of the things that I really want to do a better job of promoting is being an upstander, teaching kids how to go find an adult who's going to help intervene, but also stand up. So when somebody's picking on another child, rather than either joining in or not doing anything, saying, hey, man, that's not cool. And doing something so that that child, so that this, it hopefully stops the bully in his tracks and keeps him from, you know, him or her from continuing. Exactly. And yeah, it's something that just, it's in the news right now. Unfortunately, when some of these bullies and things are doing this, people are getting out their cameras and filming. Oh my gosh. Yes. Of being that upstander instead of turning it off and saying, no, you need to stop or. You know, and, you know, some of them are like, oh, I'm trying to record it so I can, you know, turn it in kind of thing. But there's a bunch that aren't. And so being yeah. that or being that person that's going to go stand beside them and mm-hmm. help them or get a group of friends together. I mean, mm-hmm. I 
reading a book in one of my classroom about the upstander club. And it was exactly that it was a group of friends who said, no matter what, when we see bullying happening, not just one of us are going to go over there. The whole group of us are going to go over there on the playground or whatever and really stand Oh, up. that sounds amazing because it's hard as one child to intervene because you yeah. fear that you're going to become the next victim and very likely will become the next victim mm -hmm. of the bully. Yeah. If you do that, that's a great idea. But that group, of course, then the bully couldn't because now they were facing more than one, three or four. And so, again, they couldn't mm -hmm. be the next one because that, that group was doing it together. Yeah. So yes. I'm actually yeah. feeling kind of triggered and it's taking me back to a lot of things that, that kind of happened to me. Yeah. And as a highly sensitive, introverted person, I, I this is something of children who are being bullied. Mm -hmm. Don't tell your child it's going to be OK. OK. Don't yeah. do not say that because mm -hmm. as a highly sensitive person, I knew it wasn't. And I could tell that my parents knew it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the very few times that my, that I knew that my parents were lying to me mm -hmm. and that really hurt. It made it so that I felt like I couldn't come and tell them what was going on. So I, I don't know what's in your books, but I, I feel triggered. And that has, that has to come out because mm -hmm. it's one of the few times that my mm -hmm. mom ever is when she said it would be okay and it wasn't yeah and parents are well-meaning when they say things like that or when they say stand up for yourself and the bully will leave you alone well that's that's all well and good if you're a kid who has some you know fighting skills and has the confidence again the confidence but it's not practical for most for most most kids out there and so parents tend to brush off bullying but in many cases it's actual physical assault and it should be and it's criminal assault I mean, we would want if we went to work every single day and knew that our boss was going to belittle, humiliate us, was going to uh, shake their fist in our face or slam our books down in front, you know, our work down on our desk and scream at us and throw things, we would be sick to our stomach every single night, dreading going to work the next morning. We might even throw up, but we have options. We can go to HR. We can we can confront the person and say, "Hey, this is I. You can quit your job." Kids don't have that option when they go to school. And so a lot of them don't tell their parents what's going on because their parents, again, being well-meaning, may not validate the child in a way that's really productive. Ooh, there's the next trigger. So <laughs> as an adult of being bullied and being quiet so that it was less, when I got to work and I had bosses like that, I dealt with it and I didn't talk to anybody again because it was my learned behavior. It was, yeah. it was yeah. a survival response. So mm -hmm. I have been mm -hmm. in workplaces like that many times and I never quit and I just dealt with it because yeah. that, that was what I knew how to do. So mm -hmm. again, if we could get our children to understand this and move through that, then even workplaces can, can be better. So. Yes. Wow. I'm like you, I'm a freezer. I, I, I will. I'm a, I'm a people pleaser and a freezer. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm a recovering people pleaser, recovering freezer and would um, appease, and I'm a fawner. I would kind of try to appease them to make them not hurt me or to, or to make them not, me not feel threatened. So I would flatter them and compliment them and agree with them and all these things trying to get them to not hurt me. It was all done to protect myself. But it's, you know, and those things can be good coping skills when you're a child, but often they come into adulthood and they're not coping skills anymore. They interfere with your ability to be happy and functional yeah so, Perfect. you talked about when you were 30 at that that meeting and you had your breakthrough mm -hmm. um 
I started there and it's like, I couldn't do it. So I bottled that up. And mm -hmm. instead of having the, and then I started damaging my body and I really beat the hell out of myself. And I hurt my brain a lot because I was in, in the spiritual world, I was making my body put me in a place where I had to slow down, where I had to deal with it. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I, and I, and I'm only recently coming through that and it's taking a lot more. I, I've become a being true to you certified psycho-spiritual coach. Wow. Work with, with psychedelics to help other people through trauma mm -hmm. and trauma response. So I'm a trauma informed psycho or psychotherapist. Not, not a, yeah. I'm not a therapist. No. I, I'm a psycho-spiritual coach. <laughs> okay. So, so a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is like, I can feel again, the work more work that I have to do on myself just mm -hmm. through this conversation that it's like, oh man, I forgot about that. So it's all about layers. Honey, I'm still in therapy. I'm 62 and I'm still in therapy. I'm like, I thought I'd be done in six months. <laughs> it's been 33 years. <laughs> so right now, because we are talking about this, can you give parents maybe three things that let's, either they can start with one? <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> Say or put in place to help that child who is feeling like they're being bullied or they need some help? What is something that they can teach their kiddos to say or do as kind of that, hey, I'm here, I need help? Or how well, can most of actually help their kids? What what can yeah, they the with the bullies, with the school? Mm -hmm. What yeah. What is a resource? Well, the most, the first most important thing a parent must do is to validate the child. Say, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. We're going to figure this out. Okay. Yeah. Let them know that you together with them are going to find a way to resolve the situation and then follow up with it. And again, it's not telling them to go fight, beat the other kid up because that's not going to help. That's not going to make the situation better. And ignoring it is not necessarily going to make the situation better. If it's mild bullying and the child wants to handle it on their own, it can be something that can help strengthen their character to kind of learn to roll with the punches. But if you have a highly sensitive child, a child with a disability, a child who clearly is being traumatized by what's happening, the parent needs to intervene. And that may mean going to the school. Under Title IX, bullying is um, a violation of that, of that act. And so you parents can go to the school and ask for accommodations for their child. First thing parents need to do is get the story from the child about what is actually going on, what has happened in the past, and document it carefully. Um, the child may be part of the problem. When you have a child with a learning disability, for example, they may uh, ADHD or autism or something like that, they may have behaviors that are um, easily triggered by other kids, and kids will intentionally provoke them to get them wound up, and then the child rea reacts with by hitting or screaming or doing something. And then, and then the victim gets in trouble for that. Yeah. While the bully slaps. Yeah, our oldest son is autistic and that happened in school. Someone snatched a book out of mm -hmm. his hand when he tried to get it back, they hit him. He was already on a thing where he wasn't supposed to be alone with children, but the bus got to school early and they let him all off the bus and there was no supervision. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, we, and, and then he got suspended from school for a week. Because he pushed the other kid back. Yeah, it was one yeah. of those things where we had to go in and really fight for his rights and our rights and say, no, you guys let this happen and follow A, B, and C. And my trauma shut me down. So I went into that cold because I was so close to losing my temper because of all the stuff that happened mm -hmm. to me that I wanted to go in 
and start hurting the people in the school. And it's like, so I had to like totally turn myself off. And I feel like I let my kids down because mm-hmm. I wasn't able to deal with it because of yeah. what, what happened to me as but well. We so we went in and took care of it. So yeah, there, yeah. it's, it's vastly complicated. Mm-hmm. And I, it am, is. And it's very difficult when you have your own history of abuse in some way and you are a highly sensitive person it becomes, and, and you get triggered in situations like, I am right there with you, Herb, because I would have the same reaction, you know, of, of feeling triggered. And and my trauma gets mixed up with the child's trauma. I remember I can look back at my, my children's lives and see it, places where that happened. But as a parent, um, the number one thing is advocate for your kid. And so you go to the school and you say, this is not fair. My my son, when he was in fifth grade, was walking down the sidewalk carrying his books and another kid shoved him from behind. He landed on his face, his tooth went through his gum and both kids got one week of out of school suspension. And I went to the principal and said, my son, my son was did, did nothing. They said, we have a zero tolerance policy against bullying. I said, he was a victim of a crime. Right. And I finally, they, they finally gave him three days of in-school suspension and the bully two weeks of out-of-school suspension. My son still got punished. Yeah. And he had done nothing. Zero tolerance policies don't mean anything. So you have to advocate yeah. and go in there and say, I'm sorry, Herb, I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to go in there and say, this is not fair to my child. Let's talk about what we can do to make accommodations. So do, do they need to be in a different classroom from the bully? Does their locker need to be moved? Yeah. Do they need to have um, a safe person at school they can go to? You know, there are all kinds of things that parents can do that I talk about in my books that can make a difference in how the child is um, exposed to the bully and limits that. But documenting, it's really important because I once accompanied a mother who was not getting any response from the school to protect her daughter. But when I went in there, they sat up a lot straighter, not because it was me personally, but because there was a witness. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So if, if a parent does go to the school or to the police, they need to take someone with them because they'll sit up straighter. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of, you know, what our show Bringing Education Home is all about is giving tools to the parents, helping them understand. So somebody may be like, I don't know how to deal with this bullying situation. And by listening to this show, exactly what you're saying, exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, I don't know how to gonna, deal with this situation. Yeah. <laughs> Going to give those tips to these parents. Exactly. You know, being a teacher for 27 years, I was on the other side. And lots of times I had to investigate when the parent would come and say say to me, oh, so-and-so is doing this or this issue is going on. Right. And so just realizing that hopefully the people you're talking to is doing the best that they can, but also going and blowing up in their face isn't always the best way to handle it, especially like- it's going to alienate them. And it's hard. It's really hard because you want to protect your kids. And of course you feel angry about what happened. One of the things, you know, Herb, I'm a survivor too. So one of the things I think of now when I feel compassion for a child who's being bullied or victimized or something's happened to them is to extend the same grace and compassion for myself. Because I tend to blame myself for feeling angry and overreacting or doing those things when in fact, based on where we came from, it's almost unavoidable that we would have those feelings. And so when I, when I try to extend a compassion to myself and patience with myself, that really helps me a lot. I've been getting better at that over the last couple of years because, you know, like, so I also hurt my head. I have quite a lot of brain damage and it messed up Mm -hmm. my emotional processing centers and my executive Mm -hmm. function because I, 
I I know. And and so I've been I am so much better than I was two years ago. Yes, like it's it's not even not even funny. And so um yeah. so I I am so much better right even right now. That is fantastic. So it it doesn't stop as a kid. This this stuff, I, I'm 53 and yeah. I'm still I'm still in it. And, and I you can, said you're I can yeah. feel it right now behind my eyes. And it's like I usually have to sneak up on this feeling because it runs away from me. And mm-hmm. right now it's just here. So yeah. I told Christina when she and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, Frederick Douglass had a wonderful quote that I paraphrase. It's easier to repair to raise strong children than to repair broken adults. Absolutely. In other words, if that's we well take well. care of our children, and that's what was so gratifying about working at the Child Advocacy Center is these children would come in traumatized and hurt and broken and afraid. And in six months with proper treatment and being told it wasn't their fault and being in a safe environment, they would they would be normal, happy kids again. And they, But if that had not been addressed 30 years later, they'd be doing what we, you know, this stuff. Yeah, that's what we're doing with trying so hard to get ki- children out of school right now because our school system mm-hmm. is messed up. And mm-hmm. it's even worse. And now the bull. There's also this thing where, where a lot of the stuff that the kids call bullying today isn't necessarily bullying. So it, it waters down <laughs> the word. So when people are actually in in these bullying states, they might not necessarily know it because everybody says, "Oh, that's bullying. That's bullying." When it's just meanness or or somebody teasing them, good benign teasing or good nature teasing or whatever can be. A child may feel my 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 granddaughter suffers from that. She's eight. She's eight. But last year she had two kids in her class, one boy and one girl, who she kept complaining were bullying her. And when I asked her what was going on, they were teasing her, and I I they they I don't think they meant to be bullying her. I think they were you know, taking advantage of the fact that she would get upset because kids pick on each other and kind of like getting that reaction, you know, but I think you're right. I think a lot of people call things bullying that are really just, you know, can fall into a different category where bullying is really becoming problematic is online. The cyber bullying is because people, children and adults will say and do things online. They would never say to your face. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it can get bad. Exactly. But it's the same sort of process. If the parents, if the child, the most important thing I hope the listeners get out of this episode is that, again, you and your child have more power to protect them than you think. Mm-hmm. And if you if you work to maintain an open line of communication with your child and encourage them to come to you when they feel uncomfortable or afraid or something's happening in your life that, that, that they're concerned about or spotting the signs of a child, you know, a normally happy outgoing child suddenly becomes introverted or starts doing badly in school or stop showering. I mean, all kinds of signs there are that are in my book. Um, taking action just to, to go to them and say, I'm here for you whenever you need to talk. And then being that resource for them, that, that advocate for them, that landing space for them, that safe place for them, where they can come and say, I don't know what to do. You know, I feel like I'm being picked on. I don't know what to do. Or if somebody touched me inappropriately, I don't know what to do. And the hardest part of being the parent in the situation is not overreacting because yes. of our natural instincts. Exactly. Yeah. But it does it 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 um if we overreact, our child is likely to check to clam up mm-hmm. and not want to talk anymore because A, they're afraid that we'll get angry and do something that will get up get the parent themselves in trouble or they'll hurt the person who did this and the child may still like or love or even revere the person who hurt them. Mm -hmm. 
or um, the child is embarrassed and doesn't want to make a big deal of this. There's a lot of reasons why a child might get quiet on you and go and, and not talk to you. And so, um, yeah, becoming that safe space. And sometimes it takes time to develop that relationship, but it's worth cultivating. And that's one of the big things about vibrant family education is we are really working with our parents and saying, please start that communication cycle early when oh, they yeah. little have 10 minutes of quiet time, where it's just you and the kiddo talking about whatever, try to have those family dinners, have a weekly meeting, whatever you can do to build and foster that communication when things are going well, so that when things aren't going well. Exactly. And a lot of parents also think yeah. that okay, you're being bullied, but this is still where you get your socialization skills. And so they keep their kids in school. And we're also trying really hard to say, hey, if it's bad and you can, take your kids out of school. The socialization that they can get in a, in somewhere that they want to be. So for instance, if they like music and they go to a city music school where they're there to do music or they like sports and they're there with other people working, then people enjoy being there and they react differently. So your children can be socialized outside of school, outside of that trauma in a way that's more beneficial for them. So especially some of these, these kids that are medical or are slightly different mm -hmm. then there are better ways to get them acclimated to people than in school i think that's one of the myths that i bought into was that homeschooled children didn't have the socialization opportunities but the, the kids across the street are homeschooled they're probably 16 10 and 8 uh -huh. And they're, first of all, they're amazing kids. Uh -huh. And I found out recently they go to basketball games. They, they play basketball with their friends. They have, they belong to uh, teams. Mm -hmm. They have music lessons, just like you were talking about. They have all these opportunities. And so just knowing them and being neighbors with them has taught me a lot about, or has done a lot to change my mind about what homeschooling really means. So I think there's a lot of mis, you know, yeah. um, misguided ideas about what really homeschooling is all about. Yeah, exactly. And then we also talk about how you can take their socialization and turn it into community service time. So then not only are Love they, it. you know, working with kids and people around their age, they get to work with older people and younger people, and they actually give back to the community. So what is that doing with to their self-worth inside? They're building their confidence or building their self-worth by doing those. Yeah. Things. And we're also and really tailored towards entrepreneurs and business mm -hmm. owners. So they get to watch their parents doing self-development. They get to watch their doing personal development and business development in these small classes. And the kids then sometimes go with the parents to these things. So they're exposed to parents. So kids going to these, to these expos with their parents for businesses and stuff, and they're interacting with adults. That is such a better way to be socializing your children in a room full of people who are actively trying to better themselves all of the time. Yeah. I used to take my sons for one-on-one -on -one business trips with me when I would travel around the state and we would have the best time. We'd get those bucket of sodas and go get a whole bunch of candy. And we'd sit in the hotel room and we'd, we'd get totally hacked up on sugar. And then the next day I'd go give a speech or something like that. And they would come with me and meet all the people and do the networking. It was a great experience for them. They loved it. And how confident were they now being able to walk up and talk to other adults, other people mm -hmm. like, hey, they don't see them as these weird stand. Oh, I can't talk to them. They're they're there. They're people. Yeah. And I tell you, kids, especially when they get older, we think they're not watching us or not paying attention. They don't want anything to do with us. 
That is so wrong. They are watching every move we make. And when parents volunteer, when parents do things that help other people, those kids are paying attention and it has a huge influence on them. And nothing, I call it the kindness cure, nothing will heal your heart and make your and improve your life better than benefiting other people. Yep, exactly. That is so cool. Um, one of the things I want to kind of go back around to something that you said um, was that whenever the child comes to the parents that you acknowledge it, of course, and then you say something like, we're going to work on it together, or we're going to figure it out together. Because one of the things I've been noticing with a lot of parents is that all of a sudden they're in fix it mode. I'm going to fix it. Yep. And mm -hmm. then the child, you, you're basically taking the power away from the child. So then they mm -hmm. don't, need, you know, tools, any tools, ability right? to do it. So, disempowering. It's disempowering. So fixing it together. Yeah. I can't help myself. I need someone else to help me. Right. And so, yes, fixing it together makes a big difference because it puts agency, it gives a child agency and gives them the opportunity to say, I have the power to control what happens in my life. I have the power to make a decision that can be better for me. Exactly. Yeah. Makes yep. a, makes a huge difference. And you talked about um, those opportunities to, to uh, bond with your child and the daily opportunities. I have a whole chapter on daily sharing and family monthly family meetings that I just, it was such a fun chapter to write and it's about how to hold the family meetings so that you talk about, you know, getting a new puppy or going on vacation and what you're going to do. And then also bringing up a body safety topic and maybe doing a little, a few, my signature Tasmanian devil moves. I mean, making it fun. So the kids begin, you know, look forward to that. And the younger you start, the better, but it's never too late to start. Yes. Good. Well, once they leave the house, it's a little too late. <laughs> well, yeah. Once they leave the house, <laughs> but that's the cool thing about being the grandma. Right. Exactly. I five to the grandma <laughs> because I get to do it now for my grandkids. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing that you mentioned that I was just really is sticking in my head is that that quote that you were talking about, about how, you know, if we help our children when they're younger and help them fix it when they're younger, then they don't deal it with it when they're older. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I do sometimes is do summit talks and we talk about trauma and how to help our kids through these big challenging kinds of things. And part of that talk is, you know, when we have parents who are ready to, who are going through their own stuff, but they don't necessarily share it with their child or share it with their grandchildren. So they're like having all these big emotions and the child doesn't understand what's going on. And I tell them that's kind of a mistake because the child immediately goes, I did something wrong or mm -hmm. I'm causing mom or dad to be upset. I'm whatever. And so really sharing age appropriate information. And then you're also this pillar of, oh, mom is working through something dad is working through something if something happens with me i can work through it too so really that other bigger communication of when you're dealing with your stuff share with your children so they know they you, brought, you bring you bring up such an important point because if you're right a lot of parents go through things and they don't discuss money with their kids they don't discuss you know marital problems with their kids or work problems with their kids and it doesn't you know they're they're kind of denying their children the opportunity to see how life really works life isn't always fair life is difficult sometimes we can do hard things you know and when i think about my own kids and what I, I tried to hide a lot of stuff from them, but when, when everything kind of finally came through, my boys were about 
let's see, they would have been three and six when all the memories started flooding me. And I became a single parent very shortly after that. So they, they had no choice but to see mom go through some stuff. And I, in an age appropriate way, I was able to explain, you know, what was going on with mom. And I, I feel like they really got it. They understood. And seeing your parent working to heal rather than keeping it under wraps is important because one of the things I think I shared with you um, before is that research has shown that even if a parent, if a parent has been the victim of some sort of trauma right. and never shares it with the kids, never tells, their children are still at a higher risk of being molested than the average child. Wow. Because the, because the secret is there, the, the trauma is there present in the house right. through the parent. And the kids and are it, always it's like watching. it infects the child. Kids are always watching. The kids are always learning. And the kids are learning. This is how you deal with trauma. Mm -hmm. Because this yeah. is what my mom, my mom is going through something and she shuts down. So if I'm going through something, I guess yeah. I should shut down. because that's Yeah. What. And clearly mom is unhappy, but she's not saying anything. So if I'm unhappy, I shouldn't say anything either. Yeah. 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 We, our children, they, they watch every word that comes out of our mouth, every move we make. Yep. They really but, do. This is awesome because on the flip side of that, we just recently interviewed um, a relationship coach. And so the flip side of that is how do you show your appropriate affection in front of your kids so they know what a good relationship looks yeah. like, what a healthy relationship looks like. What so healthy respect looks, looks like. like. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. Yes. All of that. Holding hands, kissing good morning, kissing good night. I mean, the parents should show affection age, you know, they don't want to be crawling all over each other, but they should show affection because that, that does give children some idea of you know what's expected in a healthy relationship and if they don't know what's expected in a healthy relationship and most kids don't because their parents don't talk to them about sex or consent or any of those things because they fear that if they talk about sex the kids will go out and have it just like crazy research has shown that kids who are whose parents talk to them about sex and consent wait longer to have sex and have fewer partners and so it actually is a very proactive thing you can do for your child and give them the knowledge and the information they need to make good choices about healthy relationships. Again, age appropriate though, because age I mean, appropriate you need to go talking way deep when they're really little. Let's like no. think about how their brain is maturing and what they yeah. can handle. And if you have questions about what's appropriate, there's some great books out there, you know, according to your child's age about to talk to, but you know, um, the age of talking to your kid about sex is getting younger and younger all the time because boy, children as young as eight are being exposed to online porn and they don't know what's going, they don't know what it means, they don't know what it is, they're very confused and it's a scary time for them. And girls are having sex at a younger age. Boys and girls are having sex at a younger age. And so the, the rules are changing a mm -hmm. little bit. It's not like it was when I was a kid in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. This has been such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Um, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Um, <clears throat> one of the things I want to recommend for parents is because um, the danger online is going up so precipitously. Um, I am a new, I have partnered with bark.us. It's B-A-R-K.us. Okay. And it's the leading parental monitoring app company that provide that you, it's an app you put on your kids' devices, anything they can touch, and that goes online. 
and it doesn't spy on your kids. It monitors their activity. So if there's talk of suicidal ideation or sexting is going on or cyberbullying is going on, it can flag these things and notify you as a parent so that you can take appropriate action with your kid. It'll even tell you how to take appropriate action with your kid. And so Bark, I'll give you an affiliate link for that to okay. put in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and I, I just can't recommend enough to get to get some sort of parental monitoring app, whether it's Bark or somebody else. It's so important because we like to think our kids are going to behave themselves and not do sketchy things. But kids are kids, and they try they do out sketchy yeah. things. Sometimes go down this wrong path that they and, tell. Yeah. Them. So where we yeah. we didn't have, you know, this is we're the last generation that that understands what life without the internet yeah. is. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the digital immigrants who have these massively powerful, powerful computers at the tips of their fingers. This was yeah. this was a comic book thing when I was a kid. This was a dream. Mm -hmm. Was it so and, and how addictive they are? Our bodies aren't designed to be able to take the chemical interactions that yeah. those things create in our brain mm -hmm. and the addictive nature of that being thrown yeah. at our kids. And then because they have this, it's like from their birth, they can do things with these that we can't even dream of. So we can't we can't keep our kids out because they're smarter at that than we are because yep. they're digital natives. They're standing on our shoulders and it's like they, they, they got it and we don't. So if I give two quick tips to parents about online uses and cell phones. Do not let your children take their electronics to bed. That means tablet, phone, gaming system, whatever. Keep them in your room as a parent because otherwise your kids are inviting predators into their bedroom, basically. Yep. Potential predators. And um, also, you can use screen time as a way to get kids to do their chores and their homework. Yes. It's very big motivator. They'll do just about anything for screen time. And so you can say you can watch 15 minutes of your Kindle if you brush your teeth and get your jammies on. When you get your chores done, you can have 30 minutes of this playing your game on the gaming system. That's, that's, and it that's, works. This is my dopamine injection. And so <laughs> I go do my homework or if I go do chores for 30 minutes, then I get my little dopamine hit. And mm -hmm. that that is one of the main chemicals in your brain that 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 yep. handles motivation. So and and this that thing is just like a steady drip. Yeah. So it, it, it is. So, and just to out of the blues, like, oh, you lose your phone for a week, you could, you could put your kids into withdrawal and have to deal with withdrawal symptoms from children and who, and you don't even understand that. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot to do with this device now that, that is just, we're just now scratching the surface, even in the psychological world. It's a wild, wild rest right now still. Yeah. And things will settle down. I believe parameters will be put around the online because the, the app companies make it so that the algorithms drive children deeper and deeper into darker and darker content. They intentionally do this for clicks, which is just criminal to me. Yes. But I think we'll get a handle on it. Yeah, I really do. I mean, there will always be ways to get around that, but I think it's going to get better than it is right now. Right now, it is just insane the way kids are addicted to these electronic devices and, and adults, a lot of adults do. And it goes back to building that strong family, building that yes, family that communicates, that family that works together, plays together, have fun together, making sure that there's something outside of the device that's maybe even more interesting, right? Thank you. Thank but you. Yes. That's more interesting. Science. Yes. Science. So they have the study with the rat that pushes the button 
when he gets the cocaine or he gets the water mm. and he pushes the cocaine button till he dies. Okay. Yep. Rat is alone and isolated and there are no other rats around. Mm -hmm. If they put the same two buttons in a, in a habitat full of mice with toys that are, that are actively engaged with that, that none of them put the, push that, that button. Really? Go for the water. That, that study is done with isolated alone mice. So if you build your community, if you build the, the family, if yeah. you put more things in front of them, then those addictive tendencies drop dramatically because the, the mm -hmm. addiction is filling in a hole that's missing in your life. So if you're getting that dopamine naturally through family interaction, through enter, through the entertainment and the growth of your family mm -hmm. and the addiction tendencies right. drop dramatically. It's the difference between getting energy from eating a healthy diet and getting energy from eating candy and, and drinking coffee. Yes. Yep. I mean, that's very much what it's like. I, had to, I just have to tell you too, how much I admire the work you're doing. I think it is incredibly important. I think it is right on target. And I wish that every parent could hear you and what you're, you, you guys promote because it's a lost art that we've got to bring back. This, this family communication, this family closeness, this family togetherness where it's not all like, you know, texting each other to communicate. It's it's one-on-one -on -one, children with their parents, finding fun things to do, interacting with each other. It's just, there's nothing that can beat it. Thank yep. you so very much. That means a lot to us whenever we have these conversations. And that's, that's one of the reasons why we do this podcast, bringing education home to help, help parents do that. That's why we have vibrant family education where we're helping to help more and more parents. And that's why we talk to people like you, because we want people and parents to know what can we do to keep building those strong families. Mm -hmm. CJ, will you tell all of our family, all of our listeners, how do they get a hold of you? What um, is something, you know, how can they get to your books and help interact with you as well? Sure. My website is www.cjscarlet.com. And Scarlet has one T, not like Ms. Scarlet, like Miss Scarlet in the boardroom with the candlestick. Uh, my email is cj at cjscarlet.com. And I'm very accessible. I'll answer any questions anybody has. And for those who email me, I've got a, a, a really great short story that I'm going to send to you about... Um, it's about healing and it's about finding yourself after trauma. Really great story. Very powerful. I'm going to send that to you actually. And we I'll make sure you get that in our show notes. So yeah. it'll be in the notes right below our show yes. as well. So we you don't have to remember it. <laughs> yeah. I would love to hear from you all. Excellent. We'd love to have it out loud. All right, friends and family, everyone who's listening, thank you so much for being with us here today on Bringing Education Home. We hope that you found some gold nuggets dropped throughout the show and that you continue to come back and find more gold nuggets to build those happy, healthy, and successful families. Thank you so much for joining us, CJ. Thank you, audience. Thank you. And until next time, bye for now. Are you guys staying on for a second?